Thank you, Father. You're attentive to us and to our needs. You know the needs that are here, the tears that could fall, have been falling. You know the cries that have been raised to you. Thank you for hearing every one of them and being our Father, Abba Father, in Jesus' name. Appreciate y'all so much. Faithful serve to us. Appreciate Johnny Dasher preaching for me last Sunday, and uh, Derek leading worship team. Uh, well done. Thank you so much for being a part of it. You bet. That's they're worthy of that. That's for sure. So I wasn't here last week because I was on vacation. If you didn't happen to know that, and uh, I think I'll go next week too. They sure are nice. Uh, so I put a couple pictures up here of, of our vacation. Um, so we go to the next one here. There we go. All right. So um, Monday and Tuesday, we went to the Timothy and Barnaby Con Barnabas Conference, um, put on by North American Mission Board. Alicia and I went as uh, pastors and wives, the pastors and wives uh, conference. Uh, great worship that took place, great speakers. This is Jeff Orge. He's the president of Gateway Seminary in L.A. That's one of our Southern Baptist seminaries. He delivered a credible message on conflict in the church and how we need to deal with it from Colossians chapter 3. Talking about all the things that COVID has done to people, he started out by saying, let me give you four illustrations that have come from friends to me about how conflict is in the church. He says, one man just called me just the other day. He called me and said, yesterday, Jeff, uh, or, you know, last week, I had to break up a fight in my elders team meeting. Guys were going over fists, were fist fighting in our elders meeting over COVID issues. Let's not let that separate us. You got an opinion? I got an opinion. Let's, let's be godly in it. Let's handle things the way Christ would want us to handle things. And he gave four illustrations of that. Just how it, just going through churches. Great, great sermon. He's a great preacher. If you ever get a chance to hear him preach, man, he just, he just nailed it so well. Um, Charles Lowry, he's been a pastor. He was at Hoffmantown in Albuquerque. Uh, he's a psychologist, a counselor, great, great guy, super funny. One of the speakers, Johnny Hunt, who helps put on the conference for 29 years. They've been doing this conference to help pastors and wives to get away just a little bit and to have a little bit of break and to share together and to learn some things. Um, had the opportunity to sit at meals. Um, I sat, we sat with a couple from Mongolia who are in Seattle planning a church for Mongolian people. We sat at a table with somebody from Fort Worth that's planning a Hispanic church. We sat at a table with somebody that's in the Oakland area, Oakland, California area, that's uh, they're from, uh, he's from Monterrey, Mexico, and uh, they're planting a church there in that area. And then I sat with Alfonso. Alfonso is in Laughlin, Nevada, um, and they're working, he's working in a church there. He got saved in 1973 through Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. I went to Moody, that church, when I was in, at Moody Bible Institute. So I'm talking to a guy that got saved right as I was coming to Moody Bible Institute in that area that the church 
uh, took place. So if you, if you ever hear this, Moody Memorials, where Warren Wiersbe was at, Edward Erwin uh, uh, Lutzer is now the, the, was the pastor and uh, has written many, many books. Erwin Lutzer was one of my professors. I wish I could preach like him. <laughs> great, great preacher. That's why he's on the radio and TV because of that. But uh, really fun to talk and to know somebody from the area that I was at had come to Christ through the church that, that I was at, the large church there. So what a joy to be a part of that. Julie, any chance I can get them up on the back screen too? Thank you. So I can kind of see where I'm going. Um, we had a chance to be there for Monday and then Tuesday uh, through Wednesday noon, and then we did the San Diego thing. And so here's maybe my favorite picture. This is my lovely wife. Any chance I can get a picture of her um, at the ocean is a delight. And uh, she just loves the ocean. And um, we had a chance to be there and to be at the beach and uh, to care to let her and just enjoy that time. And then a uh, final picture I'll show you. I did play Torrey Pine Golf Course, Torrey Pine South. And it was quite the challenge. And uh, the rough was gnarly. Your ball just sank right down into it. If you could find it, you could maybe hit it. And so it was a great opportunity to uh, be there. I did birdie the 18th hole, the very famous 18th hole. I had one good shot or a couple good shots. So uh, there were a lot of bad shots too. <laughs> but it was a great time. Thank you so much for providing vacation time. Also going to the conference, you all paid for that. You took care of that. And I thank you so much for that opportunity. All right, so we do this every year. We need to have a vote. We have a little game going on today. Maybe you've heard about it. So uh, how many of you are going to root for the Bengals? Okay, how many for the Rams? Well, the Bengals are going to win by this congregation. <laughs> anyway, just to have a little bit of fun with you. Enjoy that time, the parties that are going on. Again, that's why we do the Super Bowl of Caring Offerings, Super S-O-U-P the soup bowls back there. That's why we do this offering, because of the day and being able to minister and minister to people that really do need our help to see to come to know Jesus Christ. So today, being the day before, I guess, Valentine's today, tomorrow, right? Um, it's a great day to talk about the love of God. Roger, thank you so much. You did a great job of setting me up today. Pastor Simon set me up. Matter of fact, Pastor Simon set me so, up so well, I'm going to use the titles of the songs for my outline today just fit. It's just what God gave me. And uh, really, really thankful for that. So the first song we sang was called what? Love Come Down, right? Or Love Came Down, however you want to put it. But as we sing it, Love love Come Down. So we're going to be in First John chapter 4. We could have done First Corinthians 13. That is a really, really good one about love, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not rude, it's not envious, it doesn't, it's not self-seeking, keeps no record of wrongs, it delights in the truth, does not delight in evil, all those things that Roger read for us. But we'll do First John chapter 4 this morning. We're going to start in verse 7. If you've got fingers and toes, you probably could count all the times he uses the word love in here, because you'll need all of them. It's amazing. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, 
so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Your fingers and toes kind of, you know, warmed up by now? I counted the word love 28 times. In my version, English Standard Version, 28 times. Do you think that he's trying to make a point? <laughs> Shake your head, yes. That's it, Colton. Good job there. <laughs> yeah. 28 times in 15 verses, he uses the word love. He's trying to tell us something. And even as Pastor Simon gave us, gave us this morning, we speak of the love of God because the love of God drives us to love one another. In verse 9, I won't cover every verse here and I'm going to skip around, but in verse 9, John says, Love is manifest in that God sent His only Son into the world. Manifest, demonstrated, it's shown. We know this. This is love. I think that that verse sounds a lot like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He what? That He gave, that He sent His Son toward us. In verse 10, God has loved us and sent his son. Now I'm thinking that sounds a lot like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that he sent his son to us. You see, love helps us to do the hard things in life. We all have those things that we have to work on that are difficult. And when we, when we have the love of God in us and a love for one another, it helps us to do those things that maybe are difficult for us to do because there's maybe strings attached or maybe there's relationships that are difficult. But God's love will help us to do those things because he is a part of us. And don't you think that Jesus' love helped him to do this hard thing and come and to humble himself and to die on the cross for us. If he didn't love us, there'd be no reason to do that. 
But he did, and therefore he humbled himself, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, that he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on the cross for us. It says in here in this verse that he is our propitiation for our sins. A, a big word, propitiation. You might even be able to spell it, maybe, huh? But it's mentioned in chapter 2, verse 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So I did a little bit of research on that. I typed in the word propitiation and saw all the things that come up. Here's what it says from Christianity.com. Propitiation is a big word that means satisfaction. Because God is a holy God. His anger and justice burns against sin. And he has sworn that sin will be punished. There must be a satisfactory payment for sin. But God said, if I punish man for his sin, man will die and go to hell. On the other hand, if I don't punish man for his sin, my justice will never be satisfied. The solution? God said that he would become our substitute. He would take the sin of mankind upon himself in agony and blood, a righteous judgment and substitute for sin. I love how they put that together for us. Sin had to be satisfied. There was a payment that needed to be made for that sin. And, and we couldn't make that payment because we're sinners. So somebody had to make that payment. Somebody had to satisfy the wrath of God. And Jesus is the one that came and did that when he died on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord, is exactly right. As we were in Bible study on Wednesday night up here in classes up here in a men's Bible study, uh, we were talking about the, the rapture and the, the coming of Jesus Christ and, and, a, and a point in there. And, and Spike, who's in the, the class, he, he said, Lately I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about the sin of the world. I don't know if you put it exactly that way, but that's kind of the basic. I've been thinking about the sin of the world and how much sin is in the world. So here's my, here's my illustration. Follow with me in this next slide. If you had a good day, maybe if I had a good day, and I only sinned three times that day, might that be a good day for you? I don't know, maybe you're more holy than I am. <laughs> But let's just say I sin three times a day, and that times 365 days is 1,100 sins. And I think it's about you know 1095 or something like that. But let's just round it to 1,100. Now let's multiply that by your age. I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but you just do a little multiplication, okay? That's I'm 65 might not have sinned maybe quite as much in the first year or two. I don't know, you know how that goes. But, but let's just go. Let's see, 1,100 times 65 is what? Yeah, yeah, a lot of sin, right? Uh-huh. And that's if I'm having good days. Good days when I am patient, when I am kind, and when I don't keep a record of wrongs. And I'm not envious, and I'm not boastful, and I'm not self-seeking. Yeah, good days like that. Eight billion people in the world right now. Almost eight billion people. Multiply that times your sin. And there are lots of people out there sinning more than three times a day. 
And then multiply that by, I just looked that up, Googled it. What is the estimated population of the world from the time we started to about now? 117 billion people. Do you feel a little bit overwhelmed right now? Do you, do, does the magnitude of what Jesus Christ's death on the cross hits you? That when he died on the cross, he bore all those sins in his body on the tree in order that people could become the righteousness of God in him. When you put all that together, you recognize how incredible love he has for mankind, that he would die for your sin and every other person's sin that ever lived or will live. It's huge, right? And he is the propitiation. I did not have to die for my sin, but he died in my place as a substitutionary atonement. And for every person who's lived, he bore their sin. It's immense how much sin he took upon himself to be the propitiation for our sin. In verse 14, it says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son, that's a third time, to be the Savior of the world. I think that sounds a lot like, there you go, John 3.16. Wonder why? Might there be any reason this man who wrote these letters and wrote the Gospel of John would keep referring back to the fact that God sent his son to be the Savior of the world? He understands that. He says, we've seen and we testify. Follow with me. John could say we have seen and testified because he was a disciple of Jesus. He walked and talked with him. It wasn't secondhand information that he's passing on to them. He was with Jesus. And he noticed these things and he saw those things. John could say the Father sent his Son to be the Savior because he witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. John could say Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he came, came for all, because as he describes in his Revelation 5-9 vision, quoting, For you were slain, Jesus, you the Lamb, were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and language and people, excuse me, people and nation. He's seen these things. No second hand. No, I think. He saw Jesus on the earth. He walked and talked with him. He saw Jesus die on the cross. And then he has this vision. And he sees the Lamb of God who was slain opening the scroll because he's the only one that can do it. And he says as he opens that scroll that this is the one who was slain and was ransomed for all people, every tribe, language, people, and nation. For that 117, 118, 120 billion, whatever the name, is, the number is, he gave his life for them because God sent his son. Maybe you know these words. I once was blind, I could not see. Chains of sin had shackled me. But God in heaven, he heard my plea. Jesus, Jesus, he rescued me. Jesus, Jesus, he rescued me. I will sing forever of his love. Come down, 
with my hands to heaven. <laughs> Remember those words? Yeah. Love, come down for you, for me. In his love, he sent his son to be the propitiation for his world. For his love for us, he sent his son to be the savior of the world. In his love for us, he cared for us enough that he would send Jesus to die and to be the satisfaction of God's wrath by taking on our sin. Now our prayer and care is that all people, especially your ones, who we are praying for, would accept Jesus and his love for them. That's why we're praying. We've got some more books out there. If you'd like to join with us, if you haven't seen these books, it's a prayer every day to pray for that one person or the two people or three people that you want to come to know Jesus Christ. Beautiful prayers in here to remind you they're in the middle table in the foyer. Keep praying for them. I prayed for your ones this morning. I'm going to add to that list as Sarah's typed that up for me again. And I'm going to add the ones you've given to me this last year. It'll be probably six or seven pages now of your ones that you're praying for, that you're caring for, you're sharing Jesus with, that they would come to know Jesus Christ too because he is the Savior of the world. And he loves them just like he loves you. And he wants them. He says, I'd have no, I would not know one to perish, but that all would come to repentance. Second Peter chapter. Keep praying for those people. Keep sharing with them. Keep caring for them so that they see the love of God in you. That love came down. Then we sang the song, I Am. I take a little bit different sense on it. I think he's talking about I am, the great I am is holding on to me. I mean, I am holding on to him. He's the one holding on to me. And when we think about that I am statement, it comes from Exodus 3. Maybe you know the story. God is calling Moses to go and to lead the children of Israel, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. And God says, you're the man, Moses. And Moses is going, nah, I'm not sure I really want to be the man. And God says, uh, says to him, listen, you know, when the people, when you come to them, you don't need to tell them you're Moses. I'm the leader. Follow me. <laughs> no, you just need to tell them this. I am who I am. The divine name of God. He says, when the people ask you, who are you to lead? It's just some I am has sent me. The great I am. The one who is. The I am who I am. As he, as he invokes who he is to them. You just tell him. That's who has sent you. I am who I am. I will be who I am. God is claiming his right to be who he is. I'm God and you're not. I'm above you. I'm unchanging. I am the God who was and is and is to come, the Lord Almighty. Have no other gods before me. Worship, exalt, honor me alone because that's who I am. I am. You know this, Jesus said the same thing of himself. John 8, 58. Truly, truly, is he speaking to the Jews? Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, 
I am. And they go, what? You're older than Abraham? No, 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 no. I'm claiming that I am divinity. I'm claiming that I am divine. I am God. And they understood exactly what he was saying. Because they hated him for it. They did not believe that was really true. You're just an imposter. You're a, you're a defrauder. You say, no, no, I am God. I am the great I am. I am who I am. I am holding on. And as I think about that, I think about this. That this I am, he says in verse 7, that, that love is from God. The, the I am. Love originated with him. His love is fully in line with his holiness. Heard a great sermon last Saturday evening, a week ago, when we were in San Diego at the Foothills Church, there, the Foothills Community Church, and, and the, the gentleman preached on Isaiah 6, and the, speaking of the day that Uzziah died, and he gets the history of that back in the Chronicles. And he talks about that, and, and what happens in the midst of that? Isaiah sees God high and lifted up, and on his throne he sees the seraphim as they're praising him. And what does Isaiah say? He says, hey, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. And he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I think we could even insert these words, loving, loving, loving. Loving is the God Almighty. Because love is from God. He's the originator of it. If we didn't have him, we would not have love. We would not know what love is. Is all about. He goes on in verse 8, he says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Fully and totally, God is love. There's no aspect of Him that does not have love as part of Him. We have aspects of us that love is not a part of us impatience, unkindness, keeping a record of wrong, envying, boasting self-seeking, all those things that were mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13. When we do those things, when we live that way, God's love is not in us. We've abandoned it. Not God doesn't have that. There's no moment where He is not fully loved. All His attributes, His grace, His mercy, His unchanging, His omnipotence, His omniscience, His everywhere present, His wrath, His mercy, his goodness, all those attributes, our love is wrapped up around them and in them. That's who he is. He says this, John says, if you don't love, you don't know God. You don't know Jesus. You don't know the Spirit. In verse 16, he says that God is love. Again, he repeats that. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Because love characterizes God and characterizes the children of God. Verse 8, verse 19, he says, We love because why? He first loved us. He set the example. We wouldn't know or love or know what love is without the love of God. He's the example, and he helps us to love others. So we sing. Love like this, oh my God, to find. I am overwhelmed with the joy divine. Love like this sets our hearts on fire. And here's, here's how I see it. I see it as I am capitalized. I'm taking it out of my realm. Yes, I'm holding on to him, but, but listen, if he's not holding on to me, I can't hold on to him. 
I'm going to depend on Him first before I depend on myself to do what I'm supposed to do. I am is holding on to me. I am is holding on to me. The great I am. I am who I am. I am God. The Father, Abba Father, the Heavenly Father is holding on to me in the middle of the storm. He is holding on to me and He's holding on to you whatever your storm is right now. You can depend on that. It's a guarantee. He knows my name. Years back, I, had, I have a list of my prayer prayer request sheets. I have a list of the attributes of God. You could go, you know, 15, 20, 25, some say 16, some say 19, some say 23, but I think probably his attributes are pretty limitless <laughs> of who he is. And I got all those attributes down, but I, I was thinking through it, and I, I have a tendency to kind of remember he's high, lofty, lifted up, he's transcendent, he's imminent, he's unchanging, he's immutable, all those things. But, but it, it started dawning on me that I, I pray those things, I think about those things, but I don't think very often that he's personal. I see him up there, but I forget that he's here. And he really is personal. He's a personal God. And he wants to have a relationship with us. We, we move into relation. That's the difference between Christianity and all these other religions out here. You know, are you going to have a personal relationship with Buddha? Are you going to have a personal relationship with Gandhi? No, he's, he's dead and gone. Buddha's just a statue with a big belly sitting somewhere, right? <laughs> but we have this one who's personal. Maybe you old-timers, I'm including myself in that. <laughs> Maybe you remember this song, How Big Is God? How big and wide is vast domain? To try and tell these lips can only start. He's big enough to rule his mighty universe, but what? yet small enough to live within my heart. Anybody know that song? About five of you? You need to learn that song. You need to go look that one up. How big is God? He's big enough to rule this mighty universe. He's small enough. He's small enough to live within my heart. Or maybe the song that we just sang. He knows he knows my every thought. He knows each tear that falls. And cares who when I call. He's personal. He's personal. John echoes that when he says in verse 7, Whoever loves has been born of God. Hmm. Might that reckon back to John chapter 3, the verses before John 3.16, this conversation with Nick and he, you must be born again. You must have a spiritual birth. Salvation is evidenced by a relationship with a personal God and can be known. And I heard somebody make a statement like this this week. Each person is invited into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. They 
prayed a prayer, something like that, so that he or she can be born again and part of the family of God. He's personal. You can be a part of his family, his child, to know him. I think it's also significant that as we seek to know God, that he knows us. You know these verses from Psalm chapter 139. You've heard them through the years where he says this. Well, why don't you read it with me? For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. He knows you. Those verses help us to take a pro-life stance. That life in the womb is precious and should not be taken. But why? Because God formed that baby. That was his work, not our work. That was God's work. God put life into that womb, and we need to protect that life. Much the same thing is said as we look in Matthew chapter 6, where he says this, Look at the birds of the air. Have you even heard hearing them chirping at my house already? It's like, how in the world? It's February. The birds are already back. (laughs) They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I mean, animals are important, but we're far more valuable because we have a living soul that can connect us to God, breathe His life into us and gave us a soul that we could have a relationship with a personal father. In verse 9, God sent his only son in the world so that we might live through him. You know why we can live through him? Because he gives us life. And you know why he can give us life? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. That's why he can give us life. Because of who he is. That's who he is. You know, when you come to know Jesus Christ, he gives you different aspects of life. Think with me. It says in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death into life. When we come to know him, he gives us spiritual life. He also gives us new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man is in Christ, and a woman is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Behold, the new has come. He gives us spiritual life, but he gives us new life. He gives us eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We, we get that one really good, but we forget he gives us spiritual life. He gives us new life. He gives us this eternal life, but he also gives us abundant life, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life to the full, abundant life. Not just getting by, not just mediocre. I give you life that has my life in you, and you can live it out. 
four lives that you get when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the personal one toward you. You see, His life is in us, and we live that life through Him because, as it says in verse 12, 13, 15, and 16, God abides in us. I love this term. I love the word abides. Some translations use the word remain, which you can translate either way. It's the Greek word meno. I've always liked that little word. It's one I can pronounce. It says this. The word translated abide is one of the Apostle John's favorite words. He uses it 34 times in the Gospel of John. And he uses it 19 times in his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. The classical Greek writers use the word meno, meaning to stay, stand fast, remain, or abide. It has the idea to remain at home or stay where you are and not wander off, to dwell at one's own house, to stay as a guest in someone's house, to abide or to sustain unbroken fellowship with someone. To have a friend who abides is to have someone who is always present to help you in time of need. Know what? That's never going to happen on this earth. It's never going to happen on this earth. We will never have one who is always there with us. You say, oh, you know, my wife is. No, she you know, she wasn't your wife at one time. <laughs> she wasn't part of your life. The friend is not going to be. That's just life. But there is one. There is one who will always be there. He will always, always be there. Do you know the story, like in Luke chapter 15, the story about the prodigal son? What's the picture there? The picture is that that father was always there for that son. Always. So we know this. If God seems far off, Guess who wandered off? It wasn't God. You have to go, hey, God, uh, knock, knock. <laughs> hello, hello, God. Text, you know, God, where are you? <laughs> no. He's always there. If he seems far off, it's because we have wandered off. And the Father is always there at home waiting for us to come back. Matter of fact, he's even willing to run and to go get us. Because he abides in us. He remains in us. He stands fast. He will always, always be there for us. Maybe you heard something about that in the sermon last Sunday. So you're going, well, let's see, what was about that? Oh, yeah, Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Quentin, you in here? How are your fingers doing? I heard in one of the sermons that he got his fingers super glued together. <laughs> How they do? Are they still together? Yeah, see? Super glued. It didn't even super glue anymore. It even failed. Jesus will never 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then you go to verse 8 because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The days to come. He is the same. That's his promises. The promises of God are all through this passage. I haven't mentioned that much, but they're all through that. God is love. That's a promise. This is true. He abides with us. This is true. His life is in us. This is true. That is a promise of God. The promises are scattered all through this passage without us even having to mention that of what He is to us. So let me kind of tie the points together as we finish up. Love came down in the person of Jesus. God the Father, the great I Am, who loves each person, holds on to those who are part of His family because He knows your name. You are very special. Now, as we finish this passage, it says this, If we say we love God, we will love one another. You can't say you love God and hate somebody. You don't love God if that's the case. Because if the love love of God is in you, you will love others. Even as the two commands were given, to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And to love your neighbor as yourself. It's kind of echoed right here, too, for us in that same way. He says in verse 7, let us love one another. It's kind of a solid command right there. Let us. I thought you might get that. Okay. Let us love one another because it proves that we love God. In a sense of a command, John exhorts us to love one another. It's not optional or something to ponder. It's 2020 due. It's 2020 do. This is something you have to do. Verse 11, because God loved us, we ought to love one another. Verse 21, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now we know the context here is the family of God. So let's extend it to the family of God. How are you doing in loving the brothers and sisters here? Can I encourage you to be involved in Sunday school and in a small group where you can express that love to one another and that love could be expressed back to you? You need that. It's really, really important. You can express a little bit of love as people are coming in, as they're going out here, of course. But to really get into being in community with somebody, you need to have time with them. Why? Because you're going to learn about them, and you're going to learn that they're like not perfect just like you're not perfect. <laughs> and they're going to learn you're not perfect just like they're not perfect. And that's when love comes in. And love comes in and has to be applied when it's not easy to love. Take advantage of what's offered to grow in those relationships, to express God's love to one another. It's not an option. It's 2020 due for us. One of the great things about Ed Young, I went to be with the Lord the other day. How many of you have ever got a note from Ed Young? Handwritten note, look at that. Numbers of us. That was one of his love languages. I got one about four weeks ago from him. 
quite possibly maybe the last one he wrote. That's love. That's love. Maybe as you're going up to class or sitting there, go text somebody. Tell them you love them. That Jesus loves them. Write a note. Get on the phone. Do something that says, I want to tell you I love you. Love of Jesus Christ. Then there's your family, your spouse, your children. How are you demonstrating that love to them? How are you being patient and kind and generous, gracious? self-seeking, but selflessness to them. What does God want you to do to demonstrate to them? Valentine's a great way, a great time to be able to do that. Or the whole month of February is a really good time to do that too, right? Rogers encourages. What could you do to add to that? I know you love, I love my family too, my grandkids, but what could I do to add to that? I love my wife. love that picture of her standing at the beach. But what can I do to say to her, God loves you, but I love you too. To the people around you, your neighbors, what could we do to say to them, the love of God is in my heart. We don't have to say that to them, but, but to demonstrate that the love of God is in my heart, and I want you to know so that they too might come to know Jesus. But God says, if you love me, you will love one another. We all demonstrate in different ways. We all have our you know, love languages that we are able to accept love and to give love. Use those even today. Father in heaven, Father's love is a deep, deep love for us. If there's anyone here today that has not experienced that love, they've not come into relationship with you, may this day be the day that they would say yes to you. Jesus, you've shown your love to me by dying on the cross, bearing all the sins that we talked about. you to be my Savior. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I need your peace. I need your grace. I want to experience your love. So I invite you into my life. Personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord and the Savior. made that decision, even today, you want to process it, you want to talk more about it, just fill out the card, talk to me afterwards, we'd love to sit down and share with you. But Lord, also would you to develop the love of this family for one another, caring for one another, even as we have the opportunity to express that to Betty Smith and to Rita Young and even to Terry Eastman just today. 
loss of these loved ones that are precious to them to all the rest that have been around us so many I counted this morning in my list at least 17 people have lost an immediate family member 70 people at Majestic have lost an immediate family member in the last five months how can we care for them show them the love of God how can we care for those that have gone through difficult times you can see it on their face in their walk just to come alongside them and to pray over them and put an arm around them and whatever's comfort for them pray that others would join us in Sunday school and small groups and be a part of sharing that love with one another very specifically and also receiving for our neighbors, our ones, that they would want to come and to see the love of God through us because you abide in us. Your life is in us. Thank you for your patience. 